Well, hello, and let me add my welcome to Rods. Uh, my name's Josh, and for the very last time, I get to say that I am one of the pastors here at Wild Street. Today is our last day here, um, and we're going to miss you so, so much. I never thought I'd end my time as a pastor, as a tele-evangelist pastor live on Facebook. It's actually uh, very weird, and it's really hard, really, um, that we can't see you face-to-face on this last Sunday night. Look, there's more we'll say about that uh, later, Nikki as well, uh, but just for now, we just want to say thank you so, so much for all your prayers, for all your encouragement, your love, your friendship over the past four and a half years. You really are our spiritual family. You really are. Um, we're sad that we can't see you now, but it is a privilege to be able to finish our time together, for me in particular, by opening God's Word. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. And before I launch into things, just want to say, usually we have a Q&A um, but instead of that, I've prepared a spiritually uplifting item, which will be unveiled during that time, um, which involves the great Mike Witheridge, um, but that's to come. So if you've got questions, I'm really sorry. Keep them locked away in your heart and ask Rod Cocking, okay? Just lay them out, particularly if they're really tricky, all right? He wants them. When I was growing up, my teachers, they'd always say this, The only dumb question is the question that you don't ask. But I'm not so sure. For example, if I happened to forget to do my homework, I'd have a lot of questions. And I'd think about that thing that they said, and so I'd ask those questions. I even thought that asking them would would even fool the teacher. That's how good I thought asking those particular questions were. You know, they might think, wow, so many questions, Josh. You must have deeply engaged with the homework. I was wrong. The questions had the opposite effect. Rather than fool the teacher, they just revealed my ignorance. You know, I'd often get the statement from the teacher, well, Josh, you would know the answer to that if you had read the first page of the reading you were supposed to read. (laughs) Well, Josh, that's not actually the book we're reading. It's an interesting question, but got nothing to do with what we're studying. The main character in our Bible reading today is a rich young man, and he comes to Jesus with a question. And like my classroom questions... It's a revealing one. The question's recorded there in verse 17, and I've got no slides. Sorry, I didn't have time to produce them. So you'll have to have your Bibles open in front of you. We're in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. um, And that's where we see this question recorded by the rich young man. It's a question this man, we're not told his name, he's desperate to ask Jesus. He ran up. He knelt before Jesus to ask it. You can see it there. Verse 17, the question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that is actually a really good question, and it sounds like a really good question. Eternal life is life in God's kingdom. It's what Jesus has been on about since He's begun His public ministry in Mark chapter 1. The first half of Mark, from Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 8, as Rod reminded us last week, is all about showing Jesus identity, who He is, showing Jesus as someone who can do something about the shadow of death and the curse of sin that mark life in this kingdom, in this world. He's healing the sick, He's forgiving sins, He's raising the dead. He's finally revealed in Mark 8.29 as the Messiah, which is just another way of saying the King of a different kingdom, the King of God's kingdom, 
the king of the kingdom where death has no reign and sin can't touch. The rich young man seems to get that bit from his question, all right? Because he's coming to Jesus asking, how do I inherit eternal life, life in this kingdom? It seems like a good question. Seems like a straightforward question, but it's not. It's revealing. In particular, it's a question that reveals the man's ignorance on two fronts. Ignorance, one, of Jesus' true identity, and ignorance, two, of Jesus' chosen path. It's a question that reveals the rich young man's ignorance of Jesus' true identity and his chosen path. And Jesus shows up this ignorance in verse 18 with another question of his own. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus is saying there's more to my identity than you get. The man's question reveals, firstly, ignorance of Jesus' true identity. Jesus then goes on to tackle the rich young man's question head-on in verse 19. He paraphrases commandments 5 to 10 of the 10 commandments, the ones about loving other people, and the man says, yep, I've done that, right? And we can think that sounds arrogant, but actually I think the man was sincere. Uh, His response, particularly in verse 20, I think was sincere, and I think Jesus appreciates his sincerity. He doesn't rebuke this rich young man, like Jesus does rebuke the hypocritical Pharisees who claimed they good stu- did good stuff but were actually um, awful. Verse 21, Jesus doesn't rebuke him, looking at him, he loved him. In other words, I think we're supposed to see here that the rich young man really did try hard. Okay? He'd done a lot of good stuff. He appeared, I think, as good as anyone could at the time. Today, if he was in Australia, he'd be called a really, really good bloke top guy. In ancient times, actually, wealth was a sign of that, okay? A sign even of God's blessings. This guy's on the right track. He's good in my books. So, he's a guy, in other words, that seems to have everything going for him. But Jesus sees things differently. The Greek word translated looking at him, it's a really intense word. It means something like looking at the heart of a person, Jesus looked through what other people saw, in other words, he looked through the exteriors and in a sentence, he gets right to his heart. Verse 21, Jesus says, you lack one thing, go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. It's a sad story because the man refuses in verse 22 and he's terribly sad as a result disheartened, sorrowful. The Greek word suggests that he's really distraught about this decision not to do what Jesus says. So, why doesn't he just do what Jesus says? Why does the man refuse Jesus' call if it means it's so painful for him? Well, that brings us to the next section in our passage. Jesus says the man doesn't follow Jesus because he actually can't. The metaphor Jesus uses in verse 25 makes that exact point. The camel through the eye of the needle thing, right? The camel was the largest known land animal at that time in that place that Jesus is speaking to and living in. It's, in other words, it's a metaphor of impossibility. It's like saying that, you know, someone, some group, some sporting team, say, for example, the St. George Dragons or the South Sydney Rabbitohs, It's like saying they've got a snowball's chance in hell of beating the Cronulla Sharks, you know? It's a metaphor of impossibility. Jesus is saying it's impossible for the rich 
to enter the kingdom of God. Now that sounds harsh. And is that what he's really saying? Surely he must mean something else. Well, no, I think he means exactly that. And well, I think that is true, partly because of the disciples' reaction that's recorded for us in verse 26. Have a look at it there. On hearing Jesus, the disciples are exceedingly astonished. They can't believe it. They're like you and I. They ask, who then can be saved? When I was in primary school, I remember thinking the word cliff had a D on the end of it. My whole life, I was hearing it and saying it as cliffed. I remember the moment I found out I was wrong. That little part of my world was completely turned upside down. All this time, I had it wrong. I was hearing it wrong. In this moment, the disciples' world is turned completely upside down, but it's a lot more than a faulty spelling of a word. The best of the best didn't measure up. Obedience to God's law meant nothing if your heart was in the wrong place and Jesus saw right into the depths of ours. Wealth was not a sign of God's favor, favor, but a snare. And throughout this section of Mark's gospel, chapters 9 to 10, Jesus has been teaching on discipleship, what it means to follow him as he begins his new kingdom on earth. And every new teaching raises the stakes of what it means to follow him. So Mark 8, 34, when his identity is revealed as king of this new kingdom, he also says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, not some pleasure, not some thing, himself, everything. Take up his cross and follow me. Or Mark 9, if anyone would be first in God's kingdom, he must be last of all and a servant of all. Or Mark 9, 47, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throughout this section, a gap is opening and continues to open between Jesus and even his closest followers. Jesus' expectations are so much bigger. His example is so much better. His standards are so much higher. And Mark 10, 26, it's a bit of a breaking point for his closest followers, his disciples. It's like they throw their hands up in the air. They see no hope of themselves, they see no hope of anyone getting into this kingdom that they so desperately want to. And it's in that place, hands up in the air with nothing to offer, that Jesus gives the answer they so desperately need to hear, that Jesus gives us, you, me, the answer we so desperately need. Have a look at it in verse 27. With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. See, what was most revealing about the rich young man's question was there in the question all along. Do you remember the question? (laughs) Go back and have a look, verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You notice you don't do anything to inherit anything. You're born into an inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance, you're given an inheritance. You receive it. The rich young man didn't get that, and his question revealed it. And more than that, his response revealed who he really belonged to. The rich young man didn't possess his wealth, his, his wealth possessed him. Notice how Jesus leaves out the first half of the Ten Commandments in his response to the rich young man. Those commandments are all about our relationship with God. 
is summed up in Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That wasn't a rich man. His wealth was his treasure, not his God. That revelation turned the disciples' world upside down. But it had to happen. Because their world was the wrong way up. They lived with the same assumptions as the rich young man. They thought that if they did stuff, they'd get the kingdom of God. Hence Peter's reply after Jesus' lesson in verse 28, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus' kingdom is not something you get for stuff. You do. You certainly don't buy it. It's worth more than anyone could afford. The kingdom is something we can only receive. The gap that was opening up between Jesus and his disciples, it was there all along. And it's there between us, all of us, and God. Romans 3.23 says it. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the great hope of Jesus' message, what he's on about, his mission, is that he came to bridge that gap, and he has. He pays what none of us could ever afford. And he reveals all about how he does that a little later in Mark's Gospel, Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The man's question reveals his ignorance of Jesus' identity, but it also reveals his ignorance of Jesus' chosen path, his mission, his purpose. As he spoke to the rich young man, Jesus was on his way to die as a ransom so that all could receive what none of us could ever buy. Adoption. Membership in God's kingdom. None of us will ever receive eternal life so long as we come to Jesus like the rich young man thinking we can do stuff to get this kingdom. It's too big. It's too expensive. It's too valuable. It's too far beyond what we can offer. So what hope do we have? <laughs> Where's the good news? How should we come to Jesus? Well, that brings us to the final section of the sermon, but the first section of our passage, I'm sort of mixing things up on my last night, just keeping it up, vibe and interesting. Remember that little scene in verses 13 to 16, people are taking their children to Jesus to be blessed and the disciples, I would have been right with them, are shooing them away, you know, give them a device, take them away from Jesus, he doesn't want to hear them. Look at what Jesus says in verses 14 to 15, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a small, like a child, shall not enter it. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. See what Jesus is saying? He's giving us the answer, clear as day. How should we approach Jesus? The way into God's kingdom is to receive it. Like a child receives a gift, affection from a parent. It's no coincidence that these two episodes are placed side by side in Mark's narrative. They're about the same thing, getting into God's kingdom. The rich man shows us how we can't do it. The children shows it, show us how we can. The difference, the rich man tries to get by his effort, his goodness, his status. Children just receive. They come empty 
handed. And that's how Jesus wants you, me, all of us. And so I want to finish this sermon by asking, have you received, have you received God's kingdom? If you haven't, God's message is very simple for you today. Stop trying to do things for Him. Stop trying to impress Him the way that we so often try and impress each other. Stop trying to earn what none of us can. Accept that what Jesus did, He did for you. He paid your ransom. Suffered the consequences of your sin, my sin. Receive God's kingdom by receiving Jesus as your saviour. That'd be a great thing. That'd be, a best, that'd be the best thing, actually. And with every little bit of sermon preaching might I have left in me, I want to urge you, if you haven't already done that, to do so. Or at least ask questions about Jesus in our Intro Jesus course. It's, a big, it's, a be, it's the best thing you could do. But don't misunderstand me. It's also a big thing, a hard thing. Jesus promises persecutions as well as a long list of blessings in his response to the disciples. Following Jesus is hard. The life Jesus promises, it's not an add-on to your existing life. It's not an accessory. It's totally new. And that means your old one eventually has to die. Jesus' teaching in this section from chapter 9 to chapter 10 of Mark's Gospel is consistent. Following Jesus in this world means following Him to His death. It means putting Jesus' hopes, Jesus' loves, Jesus' ambitions above your own. The rich young man couldn't do that. And it's not just that he was rich. <laughs> There's plenty of examples of rich members of God's kingdom. Zacchaeus, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, Moses, Solomon, just to name a few. The rich man's problem was that he treasured his money above his king. Ultimately, he wanted to call the shots. And it's a sad story because he couldn't call the shots, ultimately. None of us can call the shots, ultimately. I hate farewells. <laughs> I hate the thought of saying goodbye to you all. And I think it's right, actually, for me to feel that way because we're made for relationships. We're not made for Zoom. We're made for suppers and dinners and real contact. We're made for relationships. We're built for love. Farewells are supposed to be painful. But this is nothing on the pain of death. Death is the ultimate farewell. But Jesus' consistent message, His consistent mission, His consistent stated aim was to do something about that farewell, was to do something about death. And today, right now, Jesus wants to do something about yours. So receive him, please. And for those of us who have, can I please just remind you, encourage you, not to let anyone or anything fool you. Nothing is worth more than him. Nothing is worth holding on to if it means letting go of Jesus. Live like the child we're saved to be. Nick and I are really sad to be leaving, right? No more, family into news, no, no more family news interruptions from Dave Carey. Gee, I'm going to miss that. No more garlic bread jokes at, at dinner. They're cracking. No more puns from Gabe. No more hyena laughs from Neil Street. Nobody laughs like him. 
No more cornet solos from Rodney Cocking. (laughs) Our goodbye is hard, but it's not final. It's certainly not something any of us need to despair over because Jesus brought us together in the first place. And wherever we go, whatever we do, one day, He'll bring us home. We can know that for sure because He's paid our ransom. He's brought us near. He's died for our sins. When we follow Jesus, we don't just get forgiveness. We get a new hope, a new future, together with Him, with no farewells. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that though we were far off in the death, resurrection of Your Son, You have brought us near. Thank You, Father, that in Christ we have been made right with You. Thank you, Father, that in Christ we have been brought into a family that has a name that will extend for all eternity. That we've brought into deep friendship, fellowship, relationship with you, with each other, that knows no end, that knows no ultimate separation, that needs no final farewell. Father, we thank you that Jesus is alive now, speaking to you on our behalf, claiming us for himself. We thank you so much, Father, for the gift of eternal life, inheritance into your kingdom. We glorify the Lord Jesus tonight for making that possible. And in his name we pray. Amen.